0: Today's story is one of grit and determination. I've been wanting to interview today's guest for some time. Danielle Robay is another bucket list guest here at Dear Found as she herself is the queen of interviews. And as you'll soon hear, I met Danielle Robay when she was just an intern on a local TV show that I used to guest at here in Chicago. But after moving to LA with an almost empty bank account, She's built an incredible career for herself. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give you a quick introduction. My name is Lindsay Pinchuk, and I've been building brands for nearly 25 years. With a $500 investment, I founded, built, and sold a seven figure business that reached 3 million people per month. This podcast is my weekly letter to you to inspire you to find success through your own entrepreneurial endeavors. This podcast is a show I wanted 13 years ago when I myself became an accidental female founder. If there's anything that you want to hear about or anything that you want me to share to help you with your own endeavors, I invite you to reach out. Simply send an email, lindsay at lindsaypinchuk.com or you can shoot me a DM at Lindsay Pinchuk. And if you're inspired by today's episode, I invite you to share it. Text it to a friend. Share it in your stories. Make sure you tag at Lindsay Pinchuck or at Dear Founder. I will absolutely come and say hi. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you left a five-star rating or review wherever it is that you podcast, as that's how other entrepreneurs discover our show and the incredible stories that we share here each and every week. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Dear her, and you'll be able to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you listen. But for now, let's meet today's guest. Today's guest is a special one. You see, back in my days at Bump Club, I used to guest on a local lifestyle show called Windy City Live, and Danielle Robay was the intern, the intern, And since those days at ABC7 Chicago, she and I have both seemingly lived lifetimes. Danielle is also a TV host and a journalist. She's currently hosting Ease while you were streaming. But recently, I reconnected with Danielle through her video podcast, Pretty Smart. It is one of only a handful of podcasts that I listen to religiously and regularly. And if you want to know why, it's because Danielle is truly one of the best interviewers out out there. She asks great questions. She makes you feel welcome. She gets people to open up. I love listening to what she has to say, which makes it fitting that she's created a best-selling card game, Question Everything, 52 Cards for a Deeper Conversation, which Forbes magazine noted as a game changer. It's almost intimidating turning the tables on her today, but I am beyond excited to dive right in with today's guest, Danielle Robey. Welcome, Danielle. I'm so excited that you're here.
1: Lindsay, that was... The most generous intro I think I've ever received. Thank well, you.
0: That makes me feel so happy. I'm so glad. And I didn't even put in the intro what I shared with you previous to us getting on, which was I think Danielle and I did a TV segment together when she was one of the youngest hosts in Chicago TV at the jam. I cannot find it, but I know that it- if it didn't happen, I know you were there many times when I was there. That I know. It
1: must have been. We have to try, and I'll I'll go through my archives and look for the footage, too, because that would be fun to have. We have to try to find it. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're here.
0: Honestly, I, I mean it about your podcast. When I started my podcast, truly, your podcast was an inspiration for me. I had been listening to it for, for quite some time. I know I messaged you from time to time about various episodes, but- what you've built is incredible, and I know that you've built it from nothing. And so I'd like to dive right in and have you share your story with us. How did you get to where you are today? Tell everyone what it is that you do.
1: Thank you. I, uh, I'm i a TV host. So uh, like you said, I have a show on E! and then the podcast Pretty Smart and the card game that's associated with it. And I'll tell you the larger story, but, um, this was inspired by Larry King, who was my mentor and he was the King of questions. And so when I put these together, I thought, okay, I have to try and become the queen of questions. <laughs> and, um, my whole life has been predicated on why, 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 why? Like I remember the, I grew up in Chicago, um, not far from you. And I grew up in Glencoe and, uh, I'd be in the car with my parents and, I would say, why is the light red? And they would be like, you know, like, let's play the quiet game. (laughs) I was like, no, why, why, why? And so I grew up and I kept asking why. And um, it's been the driving force of my life.
0: So my favorite part of your story is that you left Chicago with almost nothing in your bank account. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part of the story. (laughs) because That's the best part of the story. It's, yes, it is fine. Maybe the lowest low, right? But it's yes. the worst part maybe in your life of this story. But look what you've built from that. Thank and, you. you know, I think it takes a lot of guts to leave a market where you seemingly had a great career. You were on a, a TV show. You were, the, like I said, the youngest host in Chicago at the time. Yeah. And you decided that you wanted something else. What well, was it that... What, what, what was it? Tell us that part of the story.
1: So I, I'll i back up a little bit. I When I first graduated from Wisconsin, I was a political science major and did local news. And I really didn't want to move to a small market. And I thought, the internet is going to be a thing. And so I had $8,000 in my bank account at the time. And I moved to LA. And my grandma's friend let me live in her garage. And I always say, like I didn't have a friend, any money, or a clue. I had no idea what to do. And I just started emailing people and no one would reply to me. And so I started sending out cookies and bamboo plants and writing little notes saying, you know, if anybody, if anybody drops out last minute, I'm here, I'm eager. Here's my email. And people would reply and say like, thanks for the cookies, but uh, we don't have any openings. And then several months later, I got a call from one of those people and they said, our host is sick last minute can you be at the Paley Center in Beverly Hills at 730? And I said, yes. And I ran and got dressed and did it. And um, Simon Cowell gave me an exclusive and I got my first job because of it. And from there, I went to uh, entertainment tonight and then ended up back in Chicago doing a morning show where we reconnected. And the real story is that was probably my favorite job I've ever had. I really loved working on that show. Um, my co-host, Jordan and Felicia, were really good friends of mine. It, we were three young people who probably had no business having those kinds of jobs at such a young age, and they took a, a bet on us. Um, and when my contract was up, uh, I learned that my male co-host was making like a third more than me, and I had known that for... A large portion of the year. And I, I, it was at the height of me too. And time's up. And I was angry, Lindsay, I was pissed about it because I was doing, and he'll tell you, like I was doing way more work than him. You know, like we're really good friends and he'll, he'll joke about it. And yeah, I just, I went into their office and I was like, I, I want more money and I could barely pay my rent. And so part of being on TV, that's weird is like, people think that you're doing really well. (laughs) And a lot of times you're not making that much money. Like I couldn't afford my gym membership. I was barely making rent. And then I had to show up and like have hair and makeup and look really pretty on TV and pretend like I was killing it. And so I actually not just wanted more money. I needed more money and they weren't really willing to give it to me. I think if I remember correctly, they offered me like a 5% raise or 3% raise, which I think I was making $105,000. So it was fat, 3% is pretty minimal. And I left. I said, I'm going back to LA. I was, sc- I was so scared. But every time I bet on myself, somehow you leap and the net appears. And I, I don't know how or why. I, it's mystical to me. I'm sure you felt like that as you were building your company, but you just leap. When you leap, it's like you hope that there's a net to catch you.
0: And I think, though, intuitively, you know when you're making that leap that it's the right time.
1: I've just always felt like if it's not, then I'll figure that out, too. Um, But I always follow my gut. And I didn't feel appreciated. And I didn't feel valued. And I think money in a lot of ways when you're working in a corporate world is commensurate to value. And so I was pissed.
0: You know what? It's funny that you say this and I've never said this before actually, but I that is a very big reason why I left Bump Club because when I was bought, wow. I was offered a salary that was contingent upon a lot of other things and some of those things didn't happen. I have to be careful what I say. Some of those things didn't happen and I didn't have a contract agreement And I was like, I felt I didn't feel valued. Mm -hmm. And that was really what pushed me to leave. And that's what pushed you to leave. You know, you didn't feel valued. If you don't feel valued, you have to make some kind of change because everyone deserves to feel valued in what they're doing, especially when you're doing it 90% of the day.
1: Yes. And I feel like I have value, you know, and I, and I metrically had value. I, you know, had a certain amount of followers and Produced a certain amount of segments above and beyond, you know. Like I, I just felt um, angry. So when you went back out to L.A., yeah,
0: what did you do? Like, did you have something lined up? Were you
1: no? You know, I
0: I, mean, I sort of remember when you went back to L.A. I mean, I do. I sort of remember yeah. when you left the market, and you know, I was still doing TV at the time, so I was a little more tapped in than I am now, and. I remember when you left, but what was it on the other end that you were going to, or was it a hope?
1: It was a hope and a dream and a prayer. I had nothing, um, but I had had nothing before. I had quit. I quit entertainment tonight. That was a job that I thought was going to be like a dream job for me, and it ended up not being. And. I quit and eventually got the show in Chicago. And so I think um, I interviewed a child psychologist one time and she said that competence breeds confidence. And so I think when you've done something before, it helps you know that you can do it again. And I kind of called upon past experience and said, "Okay, I've leaped before and I figured it out. And I'm also not afraid of I have no ego about work. Like I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty. So if I had to backpedal and go be a waitress or whatever it was to make it work, like I I'm still willing to do that. Um, so I just was like, what's the worst that can happen?
0: That's what I say all the time. Anyone who's listening to the, like who, any of my like listeners who listen to this regularly, like I, that's what I ask myself when anything is changing. What's the worst that can happen? And if you can live with what's on the other end, then you just go for it, and that's it.
1: Completely. You know, I interviewed a rabbi uh, probably a year ago. I heard the interview. So yeah, rabbi leader who I'm actually going to see today, and he's uh, full of wisdom. And he wrote a book about grief and the end of life. And he interviewed a ton of people. He's written over a thousand eulogies. And I said, "What do you understand about death that?" me and the average person doesn't. And he said the, the regret that people have on their deathbed is what they did not do. And so I don't know if I'm ever making the quote unquote right choice because a lot of my life is still uncertain. Like I'm financially not stable still to this day. I, I'm constantly like leveraging things to, to, like produce and distribute card decks costs so much money. <laughs> yes, it does. You we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yes, it does. And I just feel like I want to be a person that tried. And until I decide I don't want to be that person, I'm just going to be trying. I very much respect what you
0: just said, because we talked a little bit about this before we hopped on. And you also just used this word here when you were talking about um, your experience at the gym. You used the word pretend. and And I love that you don't pretend.
1: Oh, thank you. You
0: know, and I don't I, know I, how I think that's the Chicago in us. Like, I can't pretend either, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm you know, there's certain things I say and don't say. And I know you're the same way. There's certain things you say and you don't say and you let people into a degree, but you don't pretend. And that is, I think, a very um, that's a very admirable trait because there's so much pretending going on around us. And I think that I mean, that's what makes you so relatable is that you're just normal.
1: Thanks for saying that. I that and thank you for seeing that in me because I think with social media uh which is like a big part of my business and my own sort of PR machine it's a challenging thing to make sure that your insides match your outsides because in a lot of ways I do have to um make things look good so that other people want to hire me because it looks good. And, you know, and like you do have to put a face on. But, um, yeah, I I can never pretend. So thank you for that. So when you went back to
0: L.A. for your 2.0. Yeah. What was the first big break you had?
1: So I want to say it took about six months. And then I got a freelance job working for IMDb. And that was actually another one of my favorite jobs because I had a female boss and her name's Lindsay Campbell and she's still at IMDb. And I had never gotten to work. F- the last female boss I had was at Windy City Live and I was just an intern. So she wasn't really my boss. I was No, I oh love Jessie though. It was Marlene Silva. Yeah, um, I love Marlene. Marlene is amazing and Cindy Petrasso, who's also really amazing. And the two of them were powerhouses. And to this day, like I, that was the only sort of traditional TV show I've, I've ever gotten to be a part of and to see how TV used to work was so valuable because I don't think those shows really exist that much anymore. There's a few in New York. Like I think the view is still very traditional TV, Uh, probably some of the late night shows, but you don't, and it's a, it's a machine that runs so differently. And if you love TV, you kind of like hold on to the golden years. And I'm glad that I got a small piece of that. But I hadn't had a female boss since. And I have to tell you, it makes a really big difference. And I you can't generalize and say that all women are great bosses. But in my experience, it has been a better experience <laughs> when I'm working for a
0: woman. We did so funny because... I very vividly remember like being up really late one night and I, I don't even remember what I was watching, but I, the next thing I know, I see you on the red carpet. Like, and, and I think I probably Instagrammed it. I I probably put it on Instagram because I was like, Holy shit. That's the intern from Wendy city lives.
1: I remember that.
0: I reposted. And I was
1: like, Oh my God. And I was like, go Danielle. Like, I mean,
0: that's what, what dreams are made of really and truly.
1: Thank you. I have to remind myself of that sometimes because um, I get frustrated, right? Like I want to be somewhere where I'm not. And um, I do kind of have to look back and think, okay, like the leaps of faith were worthwhile. Um, They still feel worthwhile. Right now I'm sort of struggling a little bit because I think that my personal life has lagged in some ways. Um, I'm 32 single no kids and you're a baby I'm good with it right baby. now but my dad always said I hope the, you don't mind me saying that yeah totally I don't at all I, I,
0: I, I hope you, you don't mind me saying that but you have a lot of you have a big okay. runway in front of you
1: I get nervous about the I really want kids and I don't want to put myself in a position that doesn't honor that if that makes sense
0: you know, it's, it's a, it is a sensitive topic, especially yeah. amongst people who women who work and who want to work and don't ever think you don't, you, you have to make a choice. You don't, you absolutely do not.
1: Right. It's not a, I agree with you. You don't have to make a choice, but I do think that I haven't put a lot of time into it if I'm being quite honest. And That's that fine. matters. But you know what? Like I, I have plenty of friends. That was just
0: one. I have plenty of friends who got mm-hmm. married in their late thirties and ended up having kids and we're just very career focused at first. And like, that's okay. And you might get to a point one day where you're like, you know, I, I'm going to shift and maybe, maybe career is going to be second. And, you know, but like right now it's like, you're in it and you have this job
1: that you love. I mean, you know, so I have like this fire in me that I can't quite articulate. Um, you know, people will say like, you know, your work is not your identity or, um, you have to make time for your personal life and i just would rather be researching for a guest on my podcast than go out like it's just it's not even about work and identity it's about joy like it really brings me joy <laughs> i can i can i can
0: absolutely relate to that really i 1000% i often say like i would much rather be doing i would much better rather, rather be doing work for a client or For my podcast or my personal brand than like having a mom's night out with like, you know, a group of moms that are not my close friends. Like if I'm going to go out, it's going to be with my closest friends, the people who I absolutely want to spend time with. And it's not an obligation. Exactly. Because time is so precious. And also if I'm not working, which I love, I want to be with my kids. And if I'm not with them, if they're sleeping, I want to be with either my husband or my friends. So, you know, and but... I I I understand I find it very hard to close the computer and I find it very hard to stop working and I and I and I know this like I know that this is a similar situation that we have because also and this is kind of like sideways into my next question your business is you it's your personal brand and when your business is you and it's your face that's out there regardless of what you're doing a lot rests on that
1: Yes, a lot right. rest on it. Um, I think the word rest is very apropos because I'm not getting a lot of it. Um I used to I used to think when people would say burnout that it was like, oh, they just aren't fueled by purpose or you know, so, and now I get it. Burnout is a real thing. Um but yeah, I I don't mind putting myself on the line or putting myself out there because um, when I think about it in hindsight, I think my parents have always made me feel like trying is worth it. And that at the end of the day, you know, you have a pillow and a bed to sleep in and a lot of love. And it's like, they're very, Midwest real people, and they're like, who cares about all this? Just enjoy yourself if you care, but really, who cares? Hi,
0: guys. It's me, Lindsay. I'm not sure if you're aware, but over the last nine months, I haven't just helped big enterprise brands on their marketing efforts through my consulting firm. I've also helped over a dozen women small business owners in launching their companies, building their brands, and to tweak what wasn't working. I've been building and growing brands for nearly 25 years, but I've forever used one method to build my own brands and that of my clients and students. My signature suite method utilizes social media, your website, emails, events, partnerships and publicity to generate and execute cost-effective community-centric marketing strategies. If you're looking for that added layer of guidance, please reach out. There's a link in my show notes. Book a call with me and let's see how I can help you. I can't wait to meet you and learn about your business. Now back to the show. So I want to segue into a little bit about your podcast, because that is a big part of your personal brand. It's you. It's like, it's one of the biggest things that you do and you do it so well.
1: Thank you. I mean, totally. you
0: do it so well. And so I would love for you to share first and foremost, kind of what, what the idea is behind pretty smart. Cause I want people to know. And, and then I want to talk a little bit about how it parlays into your brand.
1: Awesome. So, pretty smart is a love letter to women with something to say. I love women with something to say. Lindsay, you have a lot to say. You are very pretty smart. And it started because when I was working in Chicago, I read a book called Beauty Sick. And the professor is actually a Northwestern professor, Dr. Renee Engelm. And she would ask her classes in the beginning of the year uh, Would you rather be considered fat or hit by a truck? And 54% of women would raise their hand and say, I'd rather be hit by a truck. 54%. And when I read that, I thought back to high school and I was like, I would have been, I would have said hit by a truck too. And then I felt so, I like put my hand on my heart and I felt so much um, sadness for that person because I had since healed that part of me and i realized that in america no matter what we are as women we must be pretty that is our currency and i thought about all the pretty women in my life and if you if you do this exercise and you ask anybody who's the prettiest woman you know and if you ask men hetero men will tell you oh my god my mother my sister nobody says the instagram model from LA, you know, and the pretty women I know have bumps and bruises and scars and are very imperfect. And I thought of kind of putting that word and spinning it. It's pretty bold, pretty witty, pretty strong. And then I love books and education. So pretty smart. And I interview women who put a new spin on pretty. And so each week we dig into the hearts and souls and stories of people who are pushing the culture ball forward in some way in their own industry. So I've interviewed therapists. I've interviewed famous actresses. I've interviewed comedians. And I think the one through line that I have found is um, a do well, do good mentality. These people have a quest for excellence, but a, a need and a want to use their platform to say something and, do, and and make an impact. How has the podcast helped your career?
0: And that's a question I get a lot too, you know? No one's ever and,
1: asked me that. And the has pod- it? It's, it's completely changed my career. For... Um, in my like internal alignment, the better, but I will tell you the stuff that I think has been more difficult or challenging because of it. So I think that I was known as an entertainment reporter before on the jam. That's what they hired me for initially. Um, I was like the entertainment girl. I actually did an audition probably a year and a half ago. And this very big executive producer who was like legendary in my field was like, I was, I was talking about, um, it was a financial show and I was talking about things and he was like, Oh, I thought you were just a red carpet girl. And that I almost cried when he
0: said that. (laughs) Because it's so funny because I, I mean, yes, I know you do the red carpet. Yes. That's where I saw you when I was like, you know, watching TV late night I do not think of that of you at all, at all. And largely, probably because I listened to your podcast and you have so much to say and you're so fucking smart. It's crazy. Like, oh God, you man. rattle off books. Like, I'm like, how does this girl have time to read all these books? Like, I, I wish I had time to read books. I have no time to read books. I try, but like, you well, know. you're in a
1: different phase of life. So I hope that at one point I have no time to read books too. <laughs>
0: My kids are pretty self-sufficient at this point, Danielle. I have time to read books. I just don't. I mean, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, but no, seriously, like, I don't think of you like that. Like, I think of you so much more well-rounded than, like, just a red I, carpet reporter.
1: Well, I think that the... Thank you. And I think he hadn't seen or heard my podcast, but the people who have, it shifted that mentality or perspective. So the woman who hired me at E!, uh, I walked in on the first day and I said, "What?" Because... It was the craziest story. I've always had to try so hard for every job. Like nothing ever fell in my lap. You hear those stories like, when you're in alignment, the universe just, and I'm like, that has never happened to me. (laughs) And this one, it was crazy because they had, I guess, been auditioning people and I didn't know the show even existed. And then they called me one day and just offered me the job. And so it literally fell into my lap. And it was the first time anything like that had ever happened. And I walked into her office and I was like, Tammy, why did you hire me? And she was like, "I really love your podcast," and that to me was all the validation I ever needed because she was she's also a legendary EP. Like she worked on, she built Hoda and Kathy Lee's show, and now it's Hoda and Jenna. And so I feel like, particularly women, respond well to it. But I think people have seen a more wide ranging skill set, hopefully, from me. So even
0: though you've never been asked that question before, clearly your podcast has transformed your career
1: well now that you're making me think of it that way yes it has transformed it but also I didn't like the path I was headed down I looked at entertainment news and I thought a few years ago I'm like this is for me it didn't it felt like a dead end like what what's the goal who am I going to become um I want to be on The View. I want to write a book. I want to be sort of like a self-generating engine. And to me, that was not in line with being a red carpet or entertainment reporter. And so I knew I needed to make a shift. And no one was going to hire me for a role that they hadn't seen me do. I had to show them that I could do it. You created that role for yourself. I had to.
0: is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part? There's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. And from there, you have the the card game. Let's talk about that because so brilliant. I, I mean, I think every podcaster, and I know you're not just a podcaster, but every podcaster thinks of like, how can I create a product or a service or something that I could sell to my, my listeners. And it's hard to come up with the tangible.
1: And it's you know? hard to sell like product. I learned is all about distribution. It's like, you know, that phrase, if, um, if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, did it really fall? It's you can have the best product in the world. And if nobody knows that it exists, who cares? It's very marketing. is like everything. for a
0: Marketing product. is everything, but you said it, you said at the top of the, uh, of the episode, um, of, you said at the top of this conversation that Larry King was your mentor and he inspired this product. And I would love for you to share that story a little bit. I've read about it and I've heard you talk about it other times, but it is such a great story how you connected with him and where this came from. And I would love to kind of, I would love for you to share how he inspired this
1: product of yours. I love sharing this story because I loved Larry so much. I actually, before he passed, he signed uh, an old microphone and I keep it. And it's on every podcast episode. And um, I was working at entertainment tonight and I quit and I was living off my credit cards and I was really anxious. Financial instability makes me really anxious. And I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent the next month. And a friend of mine was like, I have a surprise for you because I had been really down and he was like, meet me. I'm going to pick you up at 7 a.m. Be hair and makeup ready. And I was like, hair and makeup ready at 7 a.m. Why? And he was like, cause I know you, and I know you're going to want to look good for this moment. <laughs> so,
0: it's a, good friend.
1: a really good friend. It's like someone who tells you to get your nails done before someone proposes. Yep. So, <laughs> to me, this was my big day. This is my proposal. So uh he picks me up and drives me to Nate and Al's, which is uh, like I would say the deli in, in L.A. It's in Beverly Hills. And I walk in and Larry King is sitting at the table and he has six friends with him. They're all probably 75 plus. And I sit down and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm having breakfast with Larry. And I had all these questions because I had watched hundreds of hours of Larry King and Robin Roberts and Bob Costas. Like I'm. I'm a student of journalism and I like watching how people move their hands and how they transition from question to question. And the only, like, they don't really have a master's program for that. Like for what I do, you just have to do it. And I'd watch hundreds of hours of Larry King. And so when I got there, I was going to ask him all these questions and he literally did not let me get one in because he asked me a million questions and they were all so trivial. They were like, what do you think about the Kardashians? And what about your phone? Why are kids your age addicted to their phone? What do you think it is about it? And he just was so insatiably curious. And I looked at him at the end and I was like, Larry, can I come back? And he was like, sure. You're always invited anytime you want. And I was like, well, I'm unemployed. So be careful what you say. (laughs) And I started having breakfast with Larry and his crew um, nearly every week. And I learned so much from him. I,
0: I can't, that is like, I mean, I can't even imagine. That's every journalist's dream. It is. Right? To have it that is. kind of relationship and that kind of mentorship
1: and that kind of support. It was honestly friendship because he's such a warm person. And he, invi- he was doing a show, uh, I think it was like on a Russian TV network, actually, before he passed. Because he always, he loved to work. And so he worked almost till the end of his life. And um, he invited me on uh, with his co-host, Cal Fussman. And we talked about digital media and I had pages of notes. So like I went to the Barbara Walters School of Journalism where like you you know prepare a million questions and then you reorder them and then you reorder them again. And Larry was famously known for never preparing for an interview because he felt like he wanted to ask the questions that the audience had, having not read the book, not knowing who this person was. And so during a commercial break, I was like flipping through my notes and he looked at me and he's like, do you always have that many notes? And I was like, honestly, yeah. Do you think I'm missing the magic? And he was like, no, it worked for Barbara Walters and it works for you. Everybody has to do what's good for them and he gave me so much pause and validation at that moment because this legend and icon in my eyes was saying you're good how you are don't worry and i had been so used to executives saying you're not good how you are you're too this you're too that you're too buttoned up you're too every every executive always is like it's too perfect and i'm like that's how you've taught all women to be that are journalists. Have you ever seen a journalist's hair? a teen, Like a, an anchor's hair? We all make fun of it. But there's a reason it's like that. They tell you you have to do your hair like that. Which is crazy
0: also in today's day and age, right? When you think about just everything in the environment around us and digital media and the internet and social media. Totally. The whole thing is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So when you were creating your game the card game. Yeah. What, like, how did, how did your relationship with Larry parlay into your, your product? I went on a tangent. I'm sorry. So (laughs) sorry. And then
1: I, and I got a little skewed. So sorry. No, it's me. Um, I'm not a great interviewee. I'm a better interviewer. Larry uh, was the king of questions. And when he passed, I wrote a little tribute to him on my Instagram and I was thinking, you know, everybody wants to have great connection and great conversation, and it's just really difficult. Like, even me, who asks questions for a living, I could go to a dinner party, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to ask this person, or I don't know where to insert myself, or there's like a little social anxiety, or you don't want to be too much, and... I realized that if you practice, as, it's like a superpower that everyone can tap into. I always joke, like I'm 5'1". I'm never gonna play basketball. It's just not for me. Not everyone can do it. Everybody can ask great questions. You just have to practice. And so I wanted to gamify it and make it easily accessible. And as you practice asking questions, they come so naturally to you when you're out in the world. Um, And so it's actually helped me too, because I feel like I have a few in my back pocket that I can just pull out if there's silence at a new dinner where I'm meeting new friends.
0: But how appropriate for someone who is such a good interviewer to have a product that's called Question Everything. I can't
1: imagine anything more on brand than that. Well, I just would never put a product out that didn't feel sincere. And so there are other question games or card decks that I've seen and I've played some of them. And um, I think I, I just, if I'm being honest, I didn't love them. I think the questions to me felt um, very yes or no instead of open-ended. And my job is to word questions so that I get a certain type of answer from someone. And so these questions are really particularly crafted to elicit the best conversation.
0: So now that you can add product based entrepreneur to your long list of skills on your resume, I mean, how has that impacted your brand as well? And I you, I mean, you have you said you have to market this product and that is what it comes down to. So you are doing something different than interviewing people, being a journalist. This is a different skill set. How has that
1: impacted your career? It's been a lot harder to be honest, I don't think it comes naturally to me. When I started, um, journalism, I saw the matrix, like I got the game. And so like, you know, people were like, how'd you get on a red carpet so early? And I, I I just saw how to do it with the product. I don't see it the same way. Um, I've had to read a lot. I ask a lot of like, so honestly, my podcast, sometimes when I interview founders, it's very self satisfying because I'm trying to learn. Um, and my hope is that in me learning other people learn things as well, but it's been, uh, I think a game changer in that I have something to give somebody. Um, it's almost a thank you. You know, I send all the people that come on my podcast, the card deck, when I go to events, I bring a few with me. Um, I try and infiltrate women's dinners. And so we have them at the tables and, uh, and people, once people have it in their hands, it works. It's just getting it into people's hands. Where are you selling the card deck? it's all through shopify and so it's on my instagram the link uh and through my website but um there's a few retailers so we sell in aviator nation stores we sell in little word project stores i've been trying to get into anthropology so badly i will not rest until it happens <laughs> but like i feel like this doesn't it look like an anthropology product
0: Yes, there, we're mm-hmm. going to have an offline conversation because I have like multiple ideas for you about this. Oh my yeah. god, thank you! We'll like, love that. no, I do, and I actually I, I have a couple. Of, we'll talk. We'll talk. Have a separate conversation, but you. but you also have to know that when you have a product, it does. It's not like overnight, it's going to like appear in every store, right? You have to get it out there. You have to market it to your point, and it will happen with time. It's a beautiful product. I actually saw it in the Little Word Store when I was there in New York.
1: Oh my God, that's so cool.
0: And I yeah. said, I was like I, in my head, I was like, oh man, I'm interviewing Danielle in a couple of weeks. Like <laughs> I was just there a couple of
1: weeks ago. So that's so yeah. that's another great founder. Ad- Adriana Carrig founded that store and she's a friend of mine. And um, you know, it's been so interesting when I launched it. My friends wanted me to send it to them for free. And it was my female business acquaintances that were the first people that purchased the deck. When I launched, I was so nervous that no one would buy it. And those first Shopify orders that came through, they were not from my mother. They were not from my best friends. They were not from any family members. They were female entrepreneurs because they knew how hard it was. And now that I've launched a product, anytime anybody launches a product, I am their first sale. Danielle, are you doing this on your own? Yeah, fully self-funded so I have no employees. I can't honestly I can't afford an employee. Um, Are you fulfilling the orders on your own? Yeah, I stay I'm like up at 1 in the morning fulfilling them. It's if I showed you what my so my I live in a one bedroom apartment in West Hollywood and my whole kitchen is a fulfillment center. <laughs> I just have boxes and paper cutters and
0: labels and stickers and Um, I'm laughing because I think back to the early days of bump club and my, I lived in a townhouse in Bucktown and our basement, our whole basement area was like the gift bag place. (laughs) And like I was pregnant. And so my, and my mom would come from Detroit and she would help me stuff the gift bags. And then she and my husband would carry them up the stairs to the car. And they were these giant gift bags. Later we had a a warehouse and then we had a fulfillment center. So I share that with you because your cart, like your game question, everything is new. And so yeah. it is, it's newer. I mean, it's not, it has not been around for that long. And so you will get there, you know, this, but great. this is a great, I, I love this conversation and I love talking about this because it just goes to show how a personal, someone with a personal brand can extend themselves in multiple directions and make something of it.
1: And also I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I look on um, the internet and I'm like, oh, it just seems so easy for them. Like they have a big following. And so people listen to their podcasts or listen buy their product. And then like, I meet some of these women at events and offline, they're like, yeah, I'm fulfilling the orders out of my kitchen. And no, no one listened this week. And it's just, it's never really what it seems. And so that to me feels relieving,
0: (laughs) you know? Well, and that's why I have this podcast because I want people to know that. And I also like, that's why I started this conversation with like, you had no money in your bank account, you know, and, and you went to LA. I mean, these are things people need to hear because you only see the good things and it takes a long time to build something. You are still building you. I mean, you have, you have come so far. Like when I think about like, oh my God, like when I saw you in person last was probably you were like, you know, dusting someone's face at Windy City Live, like really and truly. (laughs) But like, you know, you've come so far, but you have so much further to go. And I think that like sharing that journey and showing that journey is it's so important and it's so important to be honest about it because anyone who does show up on your Instagram and sees, I mean, you have like, you know, what, 250,000 followers, something crazy. I don't even know. I haven't looked recently to be very honest at your vanity number. But Everyone sees that shit and thinks like, ah, this person's killing it. This person's killing it and doesn't know that for every 100,000 followers, there's 100,000 hours of work behind that 100,000 followers.
1: It's so funny. I just went to Tribeca um, for like the film festival and I did a video and someone messaged me on Instagram and said, your life is so awesome. And I had been hysterically crying. I was, I felt burnt out. I was disappointed. I just like, I was like, I can't keep doing everything by myself. I, d- I felt like I was, b- I felt like a big loser. And I was like, oh my God, Instagram is so deceiving, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Um, I, when did you feel like you had something with Bump Club? Like, when did you know? Um, now you're interviewing me. Um, <laughs> um,
0: I knew after there were a couple of benchmarks. I mean, the first was like I hired my first hire. Erin Strom was my first hire, but I paid her first. I paid her before I paid myself, and I busted my ass to get a sponsorship so that I could pay her. Mm-hmm. And when I had her working for me, it opened up the the my time to be able to find more sponsors and, and build more. Um, it was probably when like Nordstrom and Target approached us in the the same year, and we we launched programs with both of them. And that was like the next big thing. And then I would say the next big thing was like when I had like 10 employees and I was like, oh, like I really have, I will tell you this. I realized I had something when like one of my bookkeepers was like, you do know you made you, your revenue was over a million dollars this year. And I was, I mean, but but that's, it's not what's in your bank account. You know, of I had course. employees, I we were paying for events, like stuff like that Saying so that fun. I was like, someone wants this. And like, I didn't want to do it forever. I, my kids were growing up like like I didn't want to be pushing strollers and being like, hey, buy the bugaboo. Like, no, thanks. Like, <laughs> you know, like bigger kids, bigger problems. I have a kid who's on TikTok. Like, you know, I mean, it's so it, like th- those were kind of the benchmarks. But it was 10 years yeah. to my point of like it was 10 years of me busting my ass and and bootstrapping and not paying myself sometimes. And, you know, and so I think that it's really important to share to share these things because You are on TV Mm -hmm. and people see something that might not be what it actually is. Oh, yeah. Despite the fact that you've come so far and you have built such an amazing brand for yourself, which leads me to my next and second to last question. And that is you have built this from the ground up. You've built your own personal brand from nothing. What are you most proud of?
1: I'm proud. Thank you for asking that. I've had like such a hard week and that's such a nice question.
0: I wish I could give you a hug.
1: You're so sweet. I'm really proud that I did it with kindness. I like have always lived within my integrity and I'm kind when it's inconvenient. And I used to think like, am I a pushover? And I, through therapy, realized that um, it's one of the things I like most about myself. And so um, I, like, if you ask me like the best gift I've ever given, it's always my time. Um, And yeah, I, I like that. When I wake up and look in the mirror, no matter if I'm killing it or I'm not killing it at all, I am proud of the person staring back at me.
0: Thank you for saying that. I think you and I are a lot of like a lot alike in that respect. Yeah. Because kindness is my number one priority. And I, I know it's yours too. You, you know, and, and also I have two girls. And so like that is something that, that like I girls are fucking mean. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) And like, and, and I, and that is something that no matter what I, I try to exemplify, I try to share, I talk about. And so even just to hear you say that here and know that we have this on video, that we can play that clip over and over and over, like everyone should be, should be able to say that. Thank you. Truly.
1: My mom has this phrase. She always says that lessons are caught, not taught. I say it on the podcast all the time. And I think that your girls will embody it always because you do. My last question for you is the same question I ask everyone at the end.
0: And that is what are three actionable steps that you would tell someone who's just getting started and who just really doesn't know what to do next? What would you tell them to do?
1: I would say number one is uh, I call them curiosity coffees or curiosity meetings. Reach out to people cold that are doing something you're interested in. And nowadays it's harder to get a coffee, especially if people are busy. Ask for 10 minutes of their time over the phone. You can even send them questions ahead of time and say, I have these three questions for you. Can we hop on the phone for 10 minutes? You learn a lot from people who have done it. Uh, I still do that all the time. The second thing is to start. I think people just don't start. And the third thing is to stick with it because, you know, I I haven't been in this long enough to know if this is good advice or not. So you tell me. But sometimes people are like, you have to. It's a. It's like a. What is it called a loss leader? Like you just have to jump ship if it's not working Um, and I'm of the mindset that you got to make it work because I've seen people and especially in creative fields, they jump around a lot. And so they're like, I'm a multi-hyphenate. I'm a designer. I'm an actress. I'm a TV host. And all of the really successful people I've interviewed have a very narrow focus and have been doing something for a very long time. I feel like I just became a good TV host about 10 years in, and I still have a lot to learn. So with my product, it's like a year and a half old. I still have a lot of time to learn and to make mistakes. And I think people jump ship too quickly or like don't put all their energy in one place. And For Maybe I'm just narrowly focused, but I don't know how you become successful at anything by doing 12 different things.
0: You can't. And I think that's actually one of the biggest lessons I learned when I left Bump Club. I had sent an email. We didn't even talk about the power of email, which is something I wanted to ask you, but we didn't even talk about it. But I sent an email basically saying... I'm taking clients. And people are like, what are you taking clients in? And I was like, well, I've done like a thousand things. Like I I built a company and ran every aspect of the company. Here's what I can do. And so I started taking clients in a lot of different arenas. Then realizing I like I cannot tell people I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. Like I have to be focused on one thing. What is it that I do? I build brands. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And Now it's much more streamlined in terms of what I offer people in terms of my services, but you cannot be everything to everyone. And like, if someone calls me and they're like, can you do my PR? I'm like, no, I don't do that. But I have someone, Rachel Rochelle (laughs) or someone else, you know, totally have um, someone
1: great to refer you to someone
0: great to refer you to. And so I think that's such good advice because everyone wants to be everything and you just can't. Right.
1: You know, there's like this whole world now that is like, don't put people in boxes and, you know, boxes are for, for things, not people. And don't like, you can be a multi-hyphenate and maybe you can, I can't, (laughs) like, I need to be very narrowly focused. And I, I mean, I interview successful people for a living and it seems like they are too. Where can people find you? I'm Danielle Robay, R-O-B-A-Y, on every social media platform, and everything is linked to my Instagram. I'm a millennial. I'm not great on TikTok yet. (laughs) And everything will be linked in our show
0: notes. Danielle Robay, thank you so much for being here. I think we all have so much to learn from you, and I hope that everyone is listening, starts to listen to Pretty Smart as well, because you have so much more to say. An hour, 45 minutes, however long we just talked, certainly didn't capture it all.
1: I hope you'll come back again another time. This is one of the best interviews I've ever had and you're a really generous listener and generous interviewer and this conversation gave me more than I think you probably know. So thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for saying that, like coming from you, that means
0: it's the world really and truly. Thank you. Wow. Danielle Robay is simply incredible. She is such an amazing human and I am so grateful that this podcast has reconnected the two of us to one another. Since we first recorded this conversation, Danielle and I have had a follow-up conversation and I know that this is just the beginning. Please make sure if you are not already listening to Pretty Smart that you subscribe wherever it is that you podcast. Do not miss a single episode. Danielle is such an amazing interviewer. She is so generous with her time. And with the information that she shares on her podcast, I know that you will all love it just as much as I do. But for now, I want to give you my top five takeaways from today's conversation. And as always, if you subscribe to the newsletter, to my newsletter through the link in the show notes, you will get all of the takeaways sent straight to your inbox every single week, plus some. So for now, take out your pen and paper because here are my top five takeaways. Number one. The best gift that you can ever give someone is your time number two you want to wake up every day and look in the mirror and be proud of the person who is staring back at you number three this was something danielle's mom taught her but i love this lesson lessons are caught not taught number four reach out to people cold that are doing something that you're interested in ask for a little bit of time even if it's just 10 minutes over the phone Send them your questions ahead of time and ask them your questions. Number five, start. Just start. People don't start, and you need to start in order to make something happen. Danielle Robet, thank you so much for being here as a guest on Dear Founder. I so enjoyed our conversation, and thank you to all of you who have tuned in to listen to this incredible episode. Again, if you like what it is that you've heard here, please make sure that you leave a rating or review wherever it is that you podcast www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Dear Founder will take you to any and all podcast applications that you use very quickly and easily. You can click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. Stay tuned for another incredible episode of Dear Founder coming your way next Tuesday.